Hello, this is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. And I get so many emails and posts from women that are just frustrated with their doctors and the medical care that they're receiving, Um, poor bedside manners, and not a lot of knowledge about PCOS, that when I start receiving some really great comments about a particular doctor, I I stand up and take notice. And there's um, a doctor that I invited to speak with us today. Her name is Dr. Catherine Sharif. Uh, I know some of my private clients have um, been patients of Dr. Sharif, and they just have raving reviews. Um, So I am thrilled to have Dr. Sharif with us here uh, today. And she is a professor and vice chair of the Department of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. She's also the director of Jefferson Women's Primary Care Dr. Sharif is an internist, and she became interested in PCOS in the 1990s when she was studying insulin resistance. She started treating women with PCOS in 2000, and she established the country's first academic program for PCOS. And besides treating PCOS, Dr. Sharif is also interested in menopause and hormonal therapy, omega-3 fatty acids, and heart disease in women. And she published a textbook on women's health in 2008 and a medical handbook on hormone replacement therapy in 2013. So welcome, Dr. Sharif. Thanks for being here with us. Amy, thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you for the good work that you do for being an advocate for women with PCOS and empowering them and demystifying um, health problems. Uh, thank you. I'm I'm really honored to be here. Oh well, I'm so glad that you're here. And what strikes me is is unusual and interesting is how does an internist um, end up becoming one of sort of the leading practitioners treating women with PCOS? Typically, you know, we we find um, OBGYNs and reproductive endocrinologists seem to specialize in PCOS, but sort of tell me about your journey. Well, sure. Um, Even I didn't know I was going to end up being interested in PCOS, and in fact, I didn't even remember what was called Stein-Leventhal. When I took OBGYN as a student, I said, why do you call this thing Stein-Leventhal? Why are you going to name it, you know, for a couple of dead guys? And um, (laughs) they said, well, you know, that's what we do in medicine. Um, so, so you know, I, I definitely I didn't remember it. I wasn't interested, and so on and so forth. So then, when I joined the faculty um, after my residency, I my research mentor was studying insulin resistance, and so that's what we looked at. And we looked at um, different groups of people who have insulin resistance, and then we saw what the insulin resistance did to the vessels, uh, the blood vessels, and how it put you at higher risk for heart disease. Then we were looking at sex hormones, um, uh, especially testosterone in women, and I found this group of women with high insulin and high testosterone, and they turned out to be Stein-Leventhal uh, but now we were calling it polycystic ovary syndrome. And I said, how is it possible that there would be a group of women with both high insulin and high testosterone and that they would have so many health problems? So, And then it turned out that 
they would get fatty liver, they were at high risk for diabetes, and those are the kinds of things that I look at as an internist. So I kind of backed into it that way. Hmm. You know, I I think that so many women have um, frustration because they're seeing multiple doctors, and you know they might see a dermatologist for the acne, and an endocrinologist for thyroid issues, um, the OBGYN for absent menstrual cycles. So, how, as a generalist, you know, of an internist, how do you approach? treating women with PCOS, how, how is that different from, you know, women going to multiple specialists? Sure. Well, I think that if I did not get any training about hormones or polycystic ovary syndrome when I was um, a resident, so that's three years there, and then I was chief resident, and teaching. And again, nothing about hormones unless you were going to go to endocrine and then it was more exotic things like um, unusual syndromes uh, causing hormonal problems. So there wasn't a whisper of um, of PCOS while I was training. Then uh, if I hadn't been doing my research, I it still wouldn't have been on my radar because it would have been irregular periods and I would have said well you know go see uh, go see your gynecologist about that so what's happened is because I was forced to look at PCOS through a different lens which was women who for example have fatty liver and elevated blood pressures and very high triglycerides putting them at risk for diabetes and eventually heart disease um, I actually saw how all these things were tied together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key. I think, it, you know, when I talk about women's health, people ask me, well, as an internist, when you say women's health, does that mean, like, you know, you guys are nice to women or you, you, <laughs> you, uh, you know, you do pap smears and, you know, other people don't or whatever? What I would say is that polycystic ovary syndrome is a paradigm for a women's health issue because this is where the sex hormones like testosterone meet the metabolic problems of the heart and the liver and the pancreas with insulin and and so on. Um, So being a generalist um, in medicine, it reflects the fact that I'm interested in a lot of different things and I'm able to Mm -hmm. pull things together. Yeah, and I, and I love that you brought up the the concept of fatty liver in women with PCOS. That's something that um, I think after the the National Institutes of Health workshop in 2012, we started hearing more about the association of fatty liver with PCOS. Um, maybe you can just tell our listeners a little bit more about that relationship and and you know how how a woman can find out if she has fatty liver and how you would treat that. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. It's so important because um, by some estimates, the number one cause of liver transplants by 2020 is not going to be cancer and it's not going to be liver cancer or uh, hepatitis. It's going to be for the results of fatty liver uh, causing liver cirrhosis and the need for transplant. This is critical. In 1995, I don't, I don't remember seeing a single person with fatty liver, and now I diagnose it every day. So what it is is that 
if you're overweight and your insulin levels are high and you have high triglycerides, which is how, you know, carbohydrates are, uh, when we have too many of them, they're stored as triglycerides, and then you get high triglycerides in the blood. Um, People who have those things will often store fat in the liver. Fat is toxic to the liver, and um, what happens is the the liver cells contain enzymes called ALT and AST. And when the liver is injured, those cells break down, and they release AST and ALT into the bloodstream. Then we do a blood test, and we say, oh, your AST and your ALT are high. And that injury that indicates some kind of liver injury. And a long time ago, 20 years ago, if I saw that, I would be like, whoa, i got to check here for hepatitis B. I don't know what's going on with this liver. i got to get an ultrasound. And now, uh, almost, uh, you know, 10 times out of 10, it is, it is due to fatty liver. Um, so it is reversible. It is easily reversible. So your doctor should check your liver function test, and that's something we just do every year anyway at the time of the physical. Check liver function tests. When your triglycerides go down, if you exercise and you don't even lose a pound, you can reverse fatty liver. Or if you lose weight but you didn't exercise, you should have, but you didn't because your eating is a little better, your fatty liver will reverse. It's Mm. so easily reversible. It is under your control up to a point. The thing that worries me, too, about fatty liver is your, your liver is your major detoxification organ and if it's compromised your body's not detoxing you know all of those awful endocrine disrupting chemicals that are in our um in our environment and you know women with with PCOS are a, a much uh it's it seems that the the studies are showing that we seem to have more BPA in our systems um yes and so I think make, staying on top of your liver health is so important. So thank you so much for that information. Sure. So why don't you tell us, can, can you sort of walk us through um, a, a, an appointment for, you know, and maybe an initial appointment for a woman with PCOS? I really want listeners to um, understand what quality care for women with PCOS should look like. Um would you okay. mind doing that for us? No, not at all. So when someone comes in, um, they usually, because they came to an internist, they're not not—they're usually not looking to get pregnant. But even if they are, I want to do the whole internal medicine thing. So I take a very thorough history starting uh, when your periods started. Um, if, your sister, if you have sisters, when did their periods start? How about your mother? Um, does it seem like anyone, aunts, uncles, grandma, uh, not uncles, aunts, cousins, or grandmothers, do they, did they seem to have uh, PCOS? Or did it seem like it, but no one had the official diagnosis? We go through your whole history of periods, when you went on the birth control pill, if you did, when you went off, um, and what your, t- what your periods were like, what the intervals were, what medications you took, and when you were diagnosed with PCOS, if you were diagnosed. And then um, 
we uh, we review um, we, we review your symptoms besides your menstrual history and your family history, your symptoms. Do you have high sim- symptoms of high uh, testosterone or high androgens, which are male hormones? So, for example, do you have hair um, in places where women don't usually get it? Or let's say you're a hairy family, um, but do you have more hair than your sister or your mother? Um, because it's all relative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people say to me, is it, you know, it, am I just Italian or am I hairy? And the, the, the answer is compare yourself to your female relatives. Mm-hmm. Then we um, uh, ask about uh, alopecia, which is hair loss. And often women will tell me that a doctor has said, you don't have hair loss, you, your hair looks great. But women, we know about our hair, uh, we know about changes, and you may start off with a great head of thick, thick hair, but there's a difference for you. You have lost hair, and you're seeing more of your scalp, but it looks great to somebody else. Another thing uh, we look for is, um, do you have acne? Do you have it in places where boys usually get it, uh, upper arms, upper back, on the jawline, on your neck, on your behind? And is it cystic or not cystic? Have you ever been on Accutane? Um, and uh, if you've been on uh, the birth control pill, did it help? Have you ever been on metformin and did that help? And so on. And then um, I do a physical exam, and I'm looking for acanthosis nigricans, which in Latin means black skin. And I know that many of your listeners will know about this, but Acanthosis nigricans is very light um, in, if your skin is lighter, and it's very dark if your skin is darker. And what it is is um, hyperpigmentation, meaning more color in areas that crease. So it could look like a tan on the back of your neck or on look at your knuckles. Uh, does it look like you have a tan on your knuckles? Um, do you have, if you're light-skinned, do you have silvery elbows? instead of black elbows if you're darker skinned. Then we move on, I review the medical records, um, and there's different ways that you can interpret blood tests. So what someone may not think is a high testosterone, uh, another doctor I may think is very high. Um, Mm -hmm. And the same looking at the thyroid, and as you know, women with PCOS are more likely to be hypothyroid. And then um, I, okay, so once I have all this information, then I explain the pathophysiology underlying PCOS, meaning what went wrong with the physiology, what's normal physiology, what's pathophysiology. And since we can't fix your genes yet, what we can do is try to work with the things that have gone wrong in your body um, in, from many different angles. And the basic underlying problem, as you know, is the insulin resistance. So what can we do to make you more sensitive to insulin? And are you interested? And the way I see it is, is um, fourfold. Number one, what can we change with diet? Number two, what can we change with exercise? Three, what can medications do? And four, a very big area, is supplements. And... Um, so I want to attack each of those areas. And then I may or may not get blood tests, 
and then um, depending on what we've decided to do, I see the patient sooner in one to two months or three months. So that's basically a visit. I know that was long. No, no. I, gosh, that was very helpful. And, you know, I think it's so refreshing for me, at least, to hear a doctor talking about, you know, significant, like, lifestyle change is, um, you know, really first-line therapy. I mean, you, yeah. you mentioned that. And then pharmaceuticals and supplements. I mean, we rarely hear about a doctor, um, you know, recommending supplements and kind of, you know, that that combination of Western medication and, and then holistic therapies. And uh, I'm just so thrilled to hear that that's something that, that you find helpful in your practice. Me too, and it's so satisfying because the thing is, the ans- we don't have all the answers, and uh, we would be foolish to think so. And if I could incorporate more non-Western medicine like acupuncture, I would. When people are interested in acupuncturists, I encourage them to go because we don't. Western medicine doesn't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think um, at least it's been my experience that that. So many doctors, um, you know, they haven't been trained in, in nutritional supplements. They haven't really been trained in nutrition and and how that really impacts, um, you know, PCOS. And really, what they have in the, their toolkit is the, the pharmaceutical. Um, and so, I love that that you've kind of integrated that into your practice. Um, and and also taking the time to. And I know that. It's it's hard when you're um, have sort of a parameter of time that you can spend with each patient, but mm-hmm. just understanding and explaining that physiology, and it's something that I really advocate for women with PCOS to become educated on on what it is, so that they can advocate for themselves um, and and feel comfortable talking to a doctor. So thank you for for taking that extra time. Oh, you bet, you bet. It's um. It's uh, It takes a lot of energy, and I run mm-hmm. late all the time. And there are some things out of my control, like the number of patients I have to see a day. Um, you know, that's stipulated. But I can't do this any other way. I can't mm-hmm. do it without involving our patients. And, um, you know, they're not objects. They're human beings. And I want some healing going on, and not just like a medical visit, but like actual healing Oh, I, I love that 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 whole idea of healing and um, you know looking at your patients as people. And I know before, uh, we we had a, a previous conversation and we talked a lot about um, the way doctors sort of treat women with PCOS and how your paradigm is really different. That it's it's not about shaming or blaming women with PCOS for, you know, the excess weight. Um, so can tell us a little bit more about your philosophy. With, with sure. Um, I feel very strongly about um, the, the shame and blame that are uh, conferred on women with uh, PCOS who are overweight. And um, I... I know, like when we train, I, I I know from medical school and from being a resident how that how doctors uh, treat either consciously or unconsciously um, treat 
women who are heavy. And um, that becomes the central thing, and it becomes like this this moral failing of the patients and that, you know, she didn't try harder. And um, uh, we have no room. I just, we have no room for that. And I know that men who are overweight go through this too. But more women are overweight because women in general have smaller muscles. And it's your muscles that make you, big muscles make you sensitive to insulin. And so in general, fewer men are overweight than women, although there's plenty of overweight men. But anyway, um, you know, it's hard enough growing up as a girl in this country and um, struggling with the way we look and if our hair is good enough. And this is without PCOS, and I can't Mm -hmm. imagine what it's even like um, when we internalize all that stuff. I was, you know, worried about my skin for years. I still do, and... uh, worry and um so what's it like for PCOS so i can't stand it i won't have any blame or shame around this i blame and shame is um it's uh destructive and also we i will not deal with my patients as children they are grown women or you know slightly grown women if you're 16 and um you know you're a grown up and um you take responsibility but that doesn't mean that there's shame if you come back and you gained weight mhm i can't i can't stand it we haven't women have enough uh, enough difficulty with blame and shame yeah in my programs uh a, a big core element is and this might sound a little like unachievable for women with PCOS, but I can tell you it's where my healing really began was when I could start loving myself where I was in the moment with the acne, with the extra weight, um, all of it. Mm -hmm. And things started to really shift for me. And I think that, you know, for women listening to to really um, to start treating yourself with more kindness and and care and love and to really work at overcoming those that internal self-talk of your own shame and blame it's it's just so critical i agree i would i would love to be able to offer women those tools here in the office but it's outside of what i can do but at least they're they are going to get respect in this office and um you know this is a this is a positive place to be mm-hmm. well i'm i'm just so thankful for what you do dr sharif maybe thank you, you and are you are um i know the next question people are going to be asking is are you seeing new patients oh of course yes and so I think what I'll do is at the um, the bottom of this interview, I'll post your contact information for people okay. who want to reach out. Okay. And do you take um, any clients remotely? That would be in the next question people yes. would probably be asking. Okay. Yes, we so, do take clients remotely, and it will be on our website. So I'll give you our website. Okay, perfect. Um, you know what, before we have a little time left, I – know that you know, in your bio you talk about um interest in omega three fatty acids and i that is something that I take every day i take a um a very high quality omega three fish oil and 
you know, it's it's helped me tremendously. Maybe you could talk a little bit about why omega threes help women, particularly sure. PCOS. Yeah, sure. So they're, uh, I guess they're my favorite supplement, but I say that about all the supplements. But um, they are incredibly important because omega-3 fatty acids um, build the cell membranes, uh, so the walls. And the way that cells talk to one another, it's not like they have a direct line from one from one nucleus to the next nucleus. They talk through their cell membranes. That's how they communicate. And when you have omega-3 fatty acids in your cell membranes, the cell membranes are more flexible and pliable and um, healthier. And um, they're very, omega-3 fatty acids are very difficult to get from food. And um, that's why I think supplements are important. But in terms of systems, um, the highest concentration of omega-3 fatty acids are in your brain. Forty percent of the omega-3s that you take are in your brain. They affect memory, great effect on memory, concentration, evening out the mood. They've been used successfully in even bipolar disorder at high doses. They're being examined in schizophrenia. They're being used for ADD in children. Um, and uh, there, is, um, there is a theory that one of the reasons we have so much depression, anxiety, ADD, and bipolar disorder in our society today is because we have so little omega-3 fatty acids. And if you take grains, um, which, you know, comprise most of our diet, and then you strip them, uh, let's say you take the hull off the wheat, um, you uh, strip out any omega-3 that was in there, and then, um, uh, you know, and we do that with everything because all grains are processed very difficult to get from fish. It would be difficult to eat enough fish to get the amount of omega-3 that you need. So so anyway, so that's just just the brain. Um, With the heart, uh, drug companies now are looking into using it to prevent atrial fibrillation because it calms down the heart cells. Um, it's a very important insulin sensitizer. Mm-hmm. Tri- I use triglyc- I use uh, omega threes to bring down triglycerides. Even triglycerides as high as 800, you can bring them down with omega three fatty acids. They're as effective, more effective than most uh, traditional medications, and it goes on and on. I love them. So, so do you have um, like a dosage amount for do you like a gram of of omega threes or? Um, sure. You know, for women listening. Well, yeah, what, what would I would say that? is use. I I say use one gram or one thousand milligrams of omega threes. But if you pick up something in the supermarket and it says one gram of fish oil, remember, it's not necessarily omega threes. The omega threes we're looking for are EPA, eicosapentaenoic acid and DHA, docosahexaenoic acid, you want 1,000 milligrams of those. And if you pick up a, a, a look, at the, look at the label of the capsule that says one gram of fish oil, it might be that only 300 of them are EPA and DHA, and the rest is just that, fish oil. 
So I want you to take enough to get a gram a day. I'm sure the brand that you're taking is pure omega-3. Yes. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I, you want to also make sure that it's been third-party tested for, for toxins and mercury, too, Just putting that out there. Yes. And also, please don't get omega-6 um, mm. or, like, a triple omega or, like, uh, total omegas, because omega-6 uh, has the opposite action of omega-3. And we need some of it, but believe me, you're getting plenty through your diet. Right. Yeah, the other question that I often get is, well, can't I just have flax oil, um, which is an omega-3? But from the the studies that I've, or the research I've done, it seems that women um, with PCOS have a hard time converting the omega-3, the ALA acid in flaxseed to, like, the DHA, um, which is what we really need. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I agree. Um, so flaxseed oil has omega-3, which is great, but the, the kind it has is not EPA and DHA. It's alpha-linolenic acid, ALA. And ALA does some good things, but it's not an insulin sensitizer, and it doesn't appear to affect mood. So um, maybe as little as 1% of the flaxseed omega-3 that you are consuming is converted to EPA and DHA. Maximum would be 15%. It depends on which study you're looking at. Uh-huh. So what we want, where the money is, is EPA and DHA. And this may be a problem for people who don't consume flesh, um, and I, I really would like to find a good vegetarian source of long-chain amino acid. I mean, long-chain fatty acids, which is EPA and DHA, as opposed to short-chain, which is the ALA. Mm. What, what about the algae um, DHA? Is it available? Yeah, there are some algae ones that are available. So that's, oh, that's what great. I usually recommend. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good, because I don't want to deplete, uh, you know, the ocean's fish uh, for, you know, for our sources. Right, right. Um, and the other, so we have a couple more minutes. I just wondered if you'd be willing to share another supplement that you find to be really effective in your practice for women with PCOS. Sure. Um I like vitamin D, but I'll talk about acetylcysteine. So you may see it as NAC, capital letters, or N-acetylcysteine. But basically what it is is the amino acid cysteine, C-U-I-S-T-E-I-N-E. has to have an E in there, not cysteine, but cysteine. And um, acetylcysteine is a really fascinating amino acid. It has... um, anti-aging properties, anti-inflammatory properties, um, and it's also uh, an, an antioxidant, and it's an insulin, a very potent insulin sensitizer. And we, it is available, uh, the highest dose is in egg yolks. And I do think that people should eat eggs, but not regular supermarket eggs, but, um, you know, uh, organic eggs, um, meaning they weren't fed, you know, other chickens or some kind of nasty meal, yeah, made of their their uh, mm-hmm. 
roommates. So anyway, the um, egg yolk has about 400 milligrams of acetylcysteine, or you can take it as a supplement. Um, it's so effective that we actually use it in medicine. Um, when someone has a Tylenol overdose, which can um, cause liver failure, those patients in the intensive care unit are given N-acetylcysteine IV in order to protect their liver. Um, or if you're having a study with dye, like a CAT scan with dye, and we have to be very careful of your liver or uh, your kidneys, we'll give N-acetylcysteine. Um, so, th and we use that for its antioxidant effects and to protect the organs. Um, so it's really good for you in most ways, but it, it came to light as um, uh, something that probably increases uh, lifespan. Mm. Well, thank you so much. That's uh, you know, one of the supplements that we're we're just hearing more about. We don't, um, you know, there there isn't a lot of information out there about that in association with PCOS. So, so that is a really great tip. Um, this this conversation has been so helpful, Dr. Sharif. Thank you so much, and and thank you all for listening. And if you um, are interested in reaching out to Dr. Sharif. You know, her information will be posted underneath this recording. So thank you all. Thank you, Amy, very much for inviting me. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.